The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Boy, oh boy, do we have a special episode of The Adventure Jogger for you. We are going to solve a debate that has been raging since the beginning of ultra running, the pacer debate. Are they necessary? Are they a form of cheating? We are going to narrow that down. We are going to solve that debate on this episode of the Adventure Jogger. So I got to call in the big guns representing the pro pacer side. He's known as Mr. Western States, 10 time Western States finisher One time, he was second place, 30 minutes. Basically, a Scott Jurek sprained ankle is all that separated him and that cougar that would be on his mantle. Now, he's also known as a jizzle whistle. Andy Jones Wilkins representing the Pro Pacers. Andy, hello. Good to be here, Ryan, and uh, go Pacers. All right, the anti-Pacer. Who can we get? Who would be big enough to take on Mr. Western States. Who would be bold enough to argue with Andy Jones Wilkins for about an hour? Well, I can tell you, representing the anti-pacers, the greatest 100-mile runner of all time, period. He's won more 100-milers than anybody else. He's got his own shoe, Carl, the speed goat, Meltzer. Welcome, Carl. Well, th- thanks for having me, Ryan. You know, it's, uh, we'll see if I can beat Andy at this one. Uh, maybe we'll play golf later to solve the real problems. If this does come down to a tie, you both have to play golf to figure out who, who wins this whole thing. I think well, that's I, a pretty good thing to pay for, right, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> play some mini golf. I got a mini golf thing, right, Ryan? <laughs> see if Andy can get the ball into the clown's mouth before <laughs> before Carl can. All right. You know what? Carl and I have been talking golf for years. We have yet to play together, but uh, one of these days we're going to play, uh, and it's going to be a blast. So, no, yeah. Carl, we'll talk about that this podcast. You said off air that you and Andy actually have a similar handicap, correct? Yeah, I mean, I'm a four and a half, about probably something, something like that. Four, and I, and I hover between. I hover. I hover between a five and six. I mean, we. Yeah. I, we don't. I mean, I, I think you know we we talk back and forth a lot when we play, and I think I think we'd have a good match. I mean, I think Carl hits it longer, but you know, I'm a little bit of an old man golfer. I keep it straight. <laughs> I, my short game's pretty good. <laughs> so, so learning your lesson from the the second place finish at Western States, Andy. If you played Carl in golf, would you employ someone to distract and or screw him up so you could take that win? No, you know what? Knowing Carl like I do, he's not distractible. Uh, <laughs> I think you're on the nose on that. I was going to rebut on that one right away. <laughs> I, when you, you know, when I play golf, I, I can say, go ahead and yell on my backswing. Give me all the shit you want. But the bottom line is, is I'm just going to still hit it right down the middle or try to. But yeah, I don't get distracted very easily. 
No, he, he doesn't at all. In, in fact, the, the, the ploy to play with him would be to try to get him to be more focused. Oh. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a little reverse psychology, you know, like, you know, maybe play a little bit. You, 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 you feel that wind coming from the left? <laughs> oh, no, you don't feel it? No, you, oh, I feel it. <laughs> no, I'd say it's about four miles an hour. I'll just hit a high cut right out of that window. <laughs> just so you know, um, if this and when this does happen, we'll try and carry it live on the Adventure Joggers Facebook page. We'll get to like some like, like a million followers. We'll we'll hop to the page just to watch Carl and Andy. I think maybe the hijinks in the golf cart between holes would probably be more entertaining than the actual golf. It probably would be, yeah. Because yeah. I can get the best cooler. Oh yeah, and I can imagine Carl that you can shit talk, like with, with the best of them. I, I can probably shit talk pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I played that game before. I'm not really a shit talker. I wouldn't really call myself a shit yeah. talker. But uh, I can probably shit talk with the best of them. I do with my buddies when I play. You know, right? Because in the running world, Carl, you haven't had to shit talk anybody. Well, <laughs> well you know, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I've done what I've done, you know. I mean, now it's just uh, now I'm just riding the wave out. So I, I will say that Carl talked me into the cart thing. Uh, you got a pretty buffed out cart, don't you? Well, I will when I move over to Ridgeway and play. Golf. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I play as where I play at when I have a golf pass, I you have to have a cart. So unfortunately, we play a lot when we have a cart. You know. Do you have I spinners? I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but. Are there spinners on the cart and does it say the goat on the side? <laughs> there will be. <laughs> it's, coming, it's coming in my retirement, Ryan. Okay. Those are retirement things. Hoka's paying for <laughs> it. Right now, Hoka's working on that right now. Like, Carl, as a thank you for selling all of them shoes, because the Speed Goat is the number one selling Hoka trail shoe, we've got you this golf cart with spinners, and it says the goat on the side. <laughs> Extra fat wheels. <laughs> Right? <laughs> With the Vibra Mega Grip wheels right on it. So you'll yeah, never get you'll never extra get large shocks on the side. All right. We've talked enough golf. It's time to talk about what we're here for. Pacing. Is it necessary? Is it quote unquote cheating and unnecessary? We'll start with the pro pacer side. Andy, why don't you lay out your argument for why you think pacing is good for ultra running? All right. Well, I'll 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 jump right in. I mean, first of all, here in the United States. Pacing started as a as an attempt to provide runners with safety, mm -hmm. to give them safety, particularly at night. Remember, when ultra running first started here in the United States, people didn't know what they could do. They didn't know what it was like running at night. They didn't. They were scared of animals and and things that go bang in the night. Mm -hmm. So pacers were meant to be safety runners. I think the second thing I'll say is then as that evolved, pacers became part of the competitive environment of the sport. When I think of the most competitive years in my career and their long past, you know, I benefited from having a pacer. And if I didn't have a pacer, because I, I have run some races without pacers and the other guys did have pacers, I felt at a disadvantage. The third and perhaps most important reason in my view that I'm pro pacer is sharing the experience of running an ultra marathon. 
So much of what we do as runners is a solitary pursuit. pursuit. So much of our time is spent just alone in the woods with our own thoughts. And being able to share the experience of the last 20 miles or 30 miles or 40 miles of a race with somebody else, with someone you care about, with someone you love perhaps, with someone who who has meant a lot to you, maybe they've trained with you, maybe they've shared in the ups and downs of not only your running life, but your life is really important. And, and I think especially these days when there are so many races that people put up on a pedestal as like, this is the one race I wanna do before I die. You wanna share that experience with somebody. Um, and so for me, the, uh, the, the safety, the competitiveness, and the sharing community nature of it means that pacers have a place in the sport. I've always kind of viewed, especially for the middle and back of the pack, I know I'm talking to two front packers here, that for folks in the middle of the back of the pack, pacing is a gateway drug. You can bring somebody Something along. like that. Yeah, where it's, where it's <laughs> like, hey, you want to you want to show your your buddy who only does like half marathons, like, hey, you got to try this trail running thing. And then they get there. And they see how different the sports are, right? Because, I mean, yes. But you want to drop him. You want to drop him and be alone anyway. <laughs> well, you want to drop him. Isn't that the plan? <laughs> when you drop your pacer, you drop your pacer, then you're probably having a pretty damn good race. And you need that pacer after all. Okay. <laughs> before I get to, to you, Carl, and you can lay down your anti-pacer argument, um, Kyle Curtin is running Western States this year. And he's he's asked to be on his crew, an elderly man that's battling pneumonia, a green beret with a bad hip and a radio DJ that's kind of pudgy and in half marathon shape. Carl, are you saying that he's he wants he only wants us to pace him so he can drop us and feel better about himself? I think he's pretty fast. You guys better watch out. Oh, I'm fucked. I (laughs) I think so. Um Wait, it depends how it is Western. It is hot. You never know what's going to happen in Western. The later in the race it gets, the slower everybody gets. Even even the fastest guys get a little slower. I, I, I mean, first of all, you know, let's put my disclaimer out there. I don't necessarily think no one should have a pacer. Mm-hmm. Not really against pacers for those that want the experience, like Andy said, and I think that's cool. Um, I'm just more or less, more or less against from the real competitive side. I'm a competitor, you know. I don't yeah. get me wrong here. I try to play it like I'm not, but I'm a competitor. And when when you're racing at the front for a big prize, you know, whether it's money or the, whether it's the Cougar or the, whatever trophy it is, um, I just think guys should sort of do it. Guys and girls should just kind of do it the same. Do it without help from a pacer. Because regardless of the fact, that pacer does something for you. If you're at nighttime, they help you light your way. I mean, that's that's one of the that's probably the biggest advantage of all. The motivational thing, if I had a pastries and the guy was behind me, come on, let's go. I'd be like, what, whatever. <laughs> as I want to go. <laughs> but that's kind of, so I'm not against the pacer completely. I'm just more against it at the real competitive side of the field. Um, you know, at Run Rabbit Run, they don't use a pacer because you're running for a $15,000 first prize. Mm-hmm. And I know I understand where everyone can have a pacer and have that, but is it really it's not cheating to have a pacer i wouldn't call it the cheating is not the right word okay. here i think it's an advantage i think when you have a race like run rabbit run with no pacers that there's no opportunity to get the advantage 
In other words, like, you know, when I'm at mile 75, when I drop a gel packet and I got to bend over to pick it, pick it up, takes me like a minute to bend over because <laughs> I'm really sore. <laughs> um, you know, your pacer just picks that up and moves on. It's just stupid crap like that, that I think is, is a little bit more help than you might think. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's okay to disagree with me too, but that's kind of how I think it's an advantage. Not necessarily, it's not cheating. It's just advantage at the front of the field is it should be all equal. It should be able to be balanced equal. Have you experienced that, Carl? Have you been in a race where you were neck and neck with somebody and then they pick up a pacer and just the energy of that person, the, the, because really when, when you have a pacer, the mind can shut off and you have someone else doing a lot of the work for you and you're just following feet. Did you experience something like that where you were like, shit, if that dude didn't have a pacer, I think I could have hung with him a little longer. No, uh, it's a good, great question. Well, I think it's a great question, but to, to really tell you whether I say yes or no, I really don't have an answer for mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Have, has someone passed me late in a race that had a pacer when I was having a, you know, a poor finish? Like I've had all poor finishes at Western each time I finished, I would lousy finish. Mm-hmm. Some people that pay, had pacers passed me, but I wouldn't say their pacer made it past me. Um, I don't know if I've had that experience or not because I haven't really thought about it, you know, um, it's a good question. I don't know if I was actually running a race to win where someone came past me and say the last 20 miles with their pacer rolling along the only time. And this is kind of actually classic. Maybe this one time, um, hard rock. I'm not exactly remember what year it was, but I think there's a guy named Scott Jurek that ran hard rock one year. Right. (laughs) And he was hanging around Silverton for about a month. He's playing a little soccer and he, and he messed up his ankle or something. And, and Meltzer was coming off a big horn three weeks earlier, but it was still sort of the Meltzer Jurek race. Um, you know, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Scotty or anything, but I had no patience then. And Scotty picked up, I think it was dusty and dusty had about a, like a 3000 lumen light. <laughs> like it was ridiculous. Like I remember Scott had a little lead on me and tell you right about mile 70 and so he was ahead of me where I couldn't see him, but, um, and I didn't do so good coming out of Telluride going to over Ofer pass or I'm sorry, over, uh, Chapman. Wait a minute. Oscar's pass. Sorry. Oscar's, Oscar's. Yeah. I'm getting old, man. <laughs> Oscar's pass and then drop down to Ofer. Um, Scott put a fair amount of time on me on that way, about 30 or 40 minutes or something. And that basically where is where he sort of ran away and got away. But, you know, Dusty was lighting his way from behind with that massive, incredible light while I'm running along with my 120 lumen uh, black diamond sprinter. And that's okay. That's my choice. I could have had bigger lights. No, you know, I can't deny that. But you can't tell me, especially, Andy, you've gone down Oscar's pass on the Oprah side, and that is horrifying. It is. Oh, yeah. Basketball shaped like hexagons, right? Trying to run over the top is horrifying. So to have that extra light, um, was an advantage. You know, he wasn't cheating. It was an advantage. And so he gets away. I take a two-hour nap. <laughs> Nappy poo down there, and Scott runs away and wins the race. And that's another reason he won the race. But it's to, but it was an advantage to have that, that massive light. Um, and again, I could have done it too with someone else. So it was my choice. But that's kind of where if you don't allow pacers, everyone's in the same mix. That's kind of my argument, if I have an argument at all. You both have had a moment in your career, or maybe multiple ones, where you've said to yourself, fuck Jurek. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, no, it's fuck jerker. Yeah. <laughs> fuck jerker. 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 But, you know, it's like a Seinfeld. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Jurek is a strong runner, you know. I mean, he's still a strong runner. He doesn't race hardly at all, but I know Scott. I communicate with Scott once in a while, and, you know, he's he's an athlete, you know. I mean, he's there's no doubt. He was one of the toughest ultra runners we've seen in our in our lifetime, right? Absolutely. I, I will say, though, Ryan, one of the having a pacer the year that I finished second to mm-hmm. Scott at Western States was actually a big motive. We, t- we opened this by talking about the motivation you get from dropping a pacer. Mm-hmm. When I was chasing, well, when I thought I was chasing Scott down, I wasn't, but I at least stayed close enough to him to, you know, finish within half an hour of him. I dropped my pacer. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't think twice. I, I could tell, you know, he had been running in front for, for a, a while. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, I'm going to run in the back for a little bit. And then I just sort of stopped hearing him breathe. And, you know, and then I would say something and he would he'd be like, ah, ah, ah. and the next <laughs> thing you know, I, you know, I was on my own. And, and he ends up getting a ride back to the finish line in a car. <laughs> nice. You know, so there was, there was that motivation of the, of dropping the pacer. But I, I guess what I want to do too is take another, another uh, uh, take Carl's side a bit with a legendary hundred, uh, a legendary runner. That's always been somewhat of an enigma uh, in the sport. And that's Matt Carpenter. And when he was asked, when he was asked about his Leadville in 2005 and why he didn't have a pacer. And I think Carl can relate to this. We've never talked about this, but I would guess Carl can relate to this. When he was asked, when Carpenter was asked, why don't, why didn't you have a pacer? Everyone else is allowed to have a pacer. And at Leadville, they can carry all your shit. Mm-hmm. You can give them yeah, everything. You can kneel at Leadville. It's all and good. At, at, Leadville, at Leadville, you can run in a t-shirt and shorts and they can carry your gels and your, I mean, they, hell, they could probably carry you. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but Carpenter said it was a, a really poignant comment. He's like, you know what? I did not want to use up any energy thinking about another person. I didn't want to, I didn't want to direct my energy to how are you feeling or did you just clip your toe on a rock or whatever he was like I wanted to be 100% in the moment and so for me this is carpenter talking he didn't want the distraction of having another person with him and you know that's a that's a 17 year old course record that he had without a pacer and it's probably going to stay for a while I think it's a very interesting comment too because carpenter like he didn't run many ultras, you know, so he didn't even <laughs> really try. No, right. He didn't even try to have a pacer. Would it have benefited him? I don't know. I think a lot of people rely too much on that pacer to, Oh, I got, I'm picking up my pacer at big mountain. So I'll be fine. And then you, you rely on that pacer, not necessarily to carry anything for you or anything like that, but they're going to take me home. They're going to get me to the finish line, but ultimately it really is you getting yourself to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think, and then all of a sudden they don't have a good race, but is it the Pacers' fault? No, it's not the Pacers' fault. They're just out there to be with you, you know, to, to share the experience, whatever you're saying. But that's why, I, I don't know, I just think it's doing it alone is is more gratifying, at least to me anyway, is more gratifying to, to get it done myself, you know? I mean, the first time I never had, the first time I had Pacers lined up was Hard Rock in 2001. Now, that was a long time ago. Yeah. And that was the year that I broke the record by three hours that was never going to be broken until other guys got faster. <laughs> right? Yeah. But um, Nate McDowell was supposed to pace me. 
Petra Pierce, which was Nate's um, soon-to-be wife after that. And then Ian Torrance was also going to pace me. All those three were lined up, but all three had to bail out about a week and a half or two weeks before the race because they were either injured or something came up and they weren't able to do it. And I was like, shit, like, I have no pacer. Like, what what am I going to do? And, like, it didn't take me long to say, well, I guess I'll just suck it up and do it myself. And that wasn't the wasn't the last time I ever had a pacer. I had pacers after that. But I was able to, to step up and make it happen myself. I mean, I was running scared at night. <laughs> you talked about people running from bears or what animals or whatever. Um, I won't I won't lie to you. I was out there alone uh, listening to that, you know, flipping my tape over, clipped onto my fanny pack on the back um, that I listened to like 15 times. Um, I was kind of running away from like anybody that could like, a, like animals, you know, but it's sort of like once I finished the race and I actually did it myself, I was like, it can be done without that assist, that advantage. And I still use patience a little bit after that, but then I was like, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather do it myself. I just, you know, I just thought, thought it was just more uh, satisfying to finish a race myself without him. It almost sounds like a pacer heartbreak, Carl. Like you had these <laughs> great expectations for Ian Torrance and the rest, and they blew you off. You're like, God damn it! I've, I've to have all my <laughs> well, blew me off. But so Ian, Ian also paced me in 2004. I think it was 2004. Yeah, Rock, a year that I dropped. We were leaving Sherman after mile 70, we're at 70, mile 73. And I puked at what puked up what uh, Ian called an alien, which is this black blob on a rock. Um, and that sort of like made me say, okay, I'm bailing out. I'm going home. Ian runs backwards so I can make sure I got a ride back to Silverton, two hours over Centerman Pass, long ride. He actually, you know, so he takes off. And I'm like, oh, I'll just catch, I'll catch up, but I'll get down there eventually. You know, 20 minutes after I, I puked up that alien, I was ready to turn around and go back, keep keep the race going. Mm-hmm. But I kind of committed to Ian telling him I'm coming. And then I bailed out. And it wasn't Ian's fault at all. Not at all. Of course not. But that's another thing that was like, you know, make decisions for myself. I made this decision and then I was sort of forced to keeping it when I could have turned around. Getting rid of the alien in my belly was probably the best thing I could have happened. But at the time, it was like, oh, you should, you, should drop, you should drop out. You know, what about your stomach lining? What about that? I'm like, who gives a shit about your stomach lining? I'm out 75. <laughs> right. right. Well, I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to the other side of the boat and, and go to Angeles Crest 2003. And I'm running uh, after mile uh, 75, go up and over Mount Wilson Toll Road. And I'm running with Craig Thornley who's a very dear friend of mine and he's right behind me and we drop down into mile and we were chatting and carrying on and get to mile 83 idle hour aid station where most people know like ultra runners go to die and i i i I put down some broth some mountain dew some pringles probably way too much uh calories i'm about 100 yards out that aid station and it just all comes out you know and i'm bent over and and i'm in second place or i'm chasing down jorge pacheco you know we a legend at ac and i'm just and i really wanted to chase him down craig was doing a great job you know getting me going and and i'm just like on my hands and knees just you know i I think i think i might have popped a succeed cap and i puked it before it even started to deteriorate and uh and craig was like let's keep walking just keep walking 
And in five minutes, you're going to start sipping on this gel. And in 10 minutes, you're going to take a sip of water. And in 15 minutes, you're going to have a little bit of the saltine you have in your pocket. And like he kept me in the game. Now, I I, I, I never caught Jorge. (laughs) I still ended up up only finishing second. But but having him there, it was a little bit of the opposite of what Ian did. Like, it wasn't – I don't think it was an alien that I puked up, but it was certainly like a a Cracker Barrel buffet that I puked up. (laughs) And it was very much like Craig at that point was like, okay, we're going to have to do a full reset. We only have 17 miles to go, but this could take – this could take AJW a long time. There's a big climb up San Merrill and then a quad punishing downhill into LA. And, you know, and he kept me in the game. Now I'm not saying I would have dropped if Craig wasn't there, but I probably would have just walked it in. And it was nice to have that motivation, that cheerleader, that guy who'd been there before and been like, sip on this, take this, yeah. you know, you, you, you know, and, and it's not like he was giving me stuff. I know. I mean, we, we might want to talk about at some point mm-hmm. the muling versus pacing. I mean, I completely agree with Carl that there's a real gray zone. If someone's carrying your stuff or picking up your garbage when you drop it or, you know, and that's against the rules. I mean, I think people need to know that's against the rules. Pacers are not pacers have to have their own stuff. The runner has to have their own stuff. It's not like you can, if you're, if you're in a race with trekking poles, you can't just hand your poles to your pacer because you don't want to use them for a little while. Like that's cheating. So there is a lot of gray zone in where you can, where one could use a pacer to do that. And I think that's a, that's a discussion that's an important one to have. But in the case of my experience at AC with Craig, I mean, that was just huge in what I needed. And I, I mean, if, if, if we were to talk about that, that event, you know, next week and here he would be like, remember when you puked all over that bridge at idle hour, we would remember it like it was yesterday. I think what we learned from the last 10 minutes is don't ask Ian Torrance to be your pacer. No, 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 no. Ian's a great person. <laughs> it just, it was just, it was my decision to, to stay, I'm going home or I'm going to bail out or yeah. whatever. But it was kind of like he would almost reinforce that decision. So I'll, I'll even go back to say, let's, let's scrap what I said. Well, not scrap it, but let's just go to another in, uh, situation. 1999 Hard Rock 100. Here's Cara Melter. Fresh off the press, nobody really knows him. He won Wasatch last year. He's going to kick ass at Hard Rock, yada, yada, yada. When I was – this is the course was a little different then. So I go out in 99, and I'm leading the race, and I'm way out in front. People are yelling at me to go slow down. You're going too fast, which is another whole story. But <laughs> that will be coming out in the book in about 30 years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming out soon. Right. Um I got to, I was at mile 85 in Maggie Galt's, but it's about 15 to go. We had to go up Buffalo Boy Ridge. It was a different route then, but we went up a steep route and I had a pretty big lead. I started going down Buffalo Boy and I was, I was bonking out hard going over that ridge. I was horrified. My buddy, Dan, one of my friend, uh, croquet buddies that I played croquet with, um, he was my pacer calling himself the greatest pacer ever. (laughs) By the time we got down to finally got down to the bottom of uh, near Cunningham, where you walk up the road a little bit to the last aid station, Blake Wood comes bouncing on by me, fresh as a daisy, ding, 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 right? He passes me and Blake moves on and wins the race eventually. I get to the Cunningham Road and my buddy Dan says, 
You should drop now. Save it for Wasatch in August. Or say or September. Save it for Wasatch in September. And my shin, my, what hurt me the most at that point was my shins. They were just destroyed. Mm. You know, you're so sore. You can't barely walk downstairs at all or whatever. My shins were destroyed. So he talked me into to dropping out. So that's not the Ian Torrance story. Dan actually talked me into dropping out. And so I sat on that rock. He walked up to the aid station, got the car, came back, picked me up. I went home and sat and waited for Blake to finish and watched him finish. So that was like a negative uh, instance. I love Dan. And, you know, again, he's a great friend and stuff like that. But that was a negative experience I had with Pacers back in the day that they sort of talked me out, save it for the next race. Like, who's saving it for the next race when they got eight miles to go? Right? Right. Hitting the race. There was no cutoff to be worried about. Finish the damn race, you know? That's really interesting, Carl, because yeah. I, I know, you know, my, my, my crew, when we, when we go out and pace, the rule is we're, we're going to keep you moving. There's no, right. we're that's not, the, that's your job. Yeah, we will not talk you out of it. We, we are going to talk you into it. We're going to keep you uh, moving forward. And we're not, you're, you can hear no excuses from us, but that, that's really interesting. Andy, have you ever had an experience where a pacer talked you out of a race? I I have not, but I also uh, let's go back to Ian Torrance for a second because <laughs> I I don't want him to. You know, I mean, let Carl and I. Ian is a dear dear friend, yes. and he's got right. a ton of ultra finishes. And one thing I'll give Ian credit for he know what he knows when to hold them and he knows when to fold them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's got his DNF. He's he's a smart he, he's a smart kid. He's still running ultras, 200 plus finishes in. He's got his 27 consecutive JFKs, and he's going to keep doing that. I mean, he's our generations like Tim Tweetmeyer. So before yeah. we before we p- pile on Torrance <laughs> and you get all the hate mail, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's safe to say that that Ian Torrance is is kind of right up there on the Mount Rushmore of this generation. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've I've surrounded myself with pacers who I, again, I'm pro pacer. So let's just take my Western States career, which has been very, very, it was very clinical. Like I chose my pacers. I would always have two, Mm -hmm. right? So I would have one from forest Hill to the river, one from the river in, I would have my downhill specialist uh, from forest Hill to the river. And then my running person, from the river end, the, the funnier person would be the river end because that's when I would need jokes. That's when, you know, if it was a slow year, it would start to get dark, you know, for the, for Cal street going down to the river, I needed the competitive person who was going to help me pass people and all of that. So, I mean, I have, I've not had that pacer or crew, uh, by the way, side note, another excellent podcast idea would be to have Cheryl, uh, Meltzer and Shelly Jones Wilkins on yeah. the podcast. Mm-hmm. They are they are two of the fine, and they're they're friends themselves. But they are two of the finest crew spouses in the world, and they have suffered a long, long time as a result of it. But they're amazing people, and they put up with Carl and I. But I would say that I think that's the other piece of a pacer. You give them instructions three days before. Right. You get I I would give them instructions. I know I'm going to be whining on this uphill after Cal two. And you're just going to have to tell me, keep running this because it's a long downhill after it. And so I was I was kind of clinical about that. You know, that Western States was my life. And so I would literally pick my pacers to do that. 
and so nobody in that scenario would have said, oh, man, you should probably drop out. Now, I think of some of t- sometimes in other races, I mean, I have ended up in the hospital as a result of overdoing it with uh, kidney failure and rhabdo. And, you know, I've ended up in some bad situations because of pushing myself too far, but it's never really been the pacer's fault that I push myself too far or it's never that the pacer looked at me and said, well, you're messed up. You should keep going. I mean, at Bighorn in 2017, I got a concussion and I, and I, and I had to sit there. I was slipping in the, I mean, Carl knows the mud there, you know, it's just like insane mud. And, 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 and they just, they made me sit in a, in the aid station for an hour and they were looking at my eyes and, and there were no, there was no way they were going to get me to drop out, but you know, I just had to sit there. Uh, so, I mean, there's those kind of things that happen, but, um, but the, I think the pacer from a competitive standpoint, I, I, I would, I would say Carl and I are, are probably closer than you would think, but you know, if the, for me, if the race allows a pacer, then the competitive thing to do is have a pacer. It would be like, it would be like, would you decide to, if, if, the, if everybody in the golf tournament has a caddy, would you decide to carry your own bag? No. I'm so psyched you just brought that up right now because that was a total perfect analogy of the caddy. <laughs> the caddy, right? What happened? Well, we, I, we'll, we'll, we won't talk golf long here, but the caddy mentally keeps that golfer thinking about the right thing to do, right? He gives you say, say, hey, hey, Rory, you're on the left side of the creek here. You could chunk it into the water here because you get a downhill eye and a heavy junk, heavy junk, or you can take a drop and hit it onto the green as he did in the last tournament that Rory won. Golfers know this. If you don't golf, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, no, but but look at look at what Phil Phil with his brother yesterday in the PGA. Right. Phil Mickelson. I mean, they, they were in such a zone. Like his his brother could have told him <laughs> to jump in the lake, and he would have jumped in the lake. Right. <laughs> right. No, it is sort of the same analogy. Golf was brought up that way, as pacers were in the U.S. Golfers always have a caddy. And I've played with a caddy before a couple of times. I played at Cyprus, I played at Olympic, I played a few other courses with the caddies. And it's funny because I'm like, nah, I can read the pub myself. Or, <laughs> you know, or I, or I would, let me, I'm like, let me read it first and then let the caddy tell me what he thinks. Because I'd want to read it first just to see if I could reading it like the caddy. And I was reading them pretty, I mean, not perfectly like the caddies, but the guys at Cypress were ridiculous because they were like, they put it here, it will go in the hole. And you would do that, it would go in the hole. But but I think it's it's an advantage, you know. But all golfers, I mean, golfers, that's how golf is. I mean, we'll never see golf with carrying their own bags. Right, right. First of all, the bag weighs like 800 pounds. <laughs> it's got pull carts. But, <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's, I was just saying it's a great analogy. Uh, the caddies in golf, how an extra person helps you make the right decisions. That's really what a pacer should be. Help you make the right decisions, not carry your crap or be a mule. Help you make right decisions. I get it for the back of the pack. The guys that are the professionals, the elites, well, they're professionals. Shouldn't they just know those things? Right? Hey, hey, Ryan, it sounds like Carl's kind of coming around to the pace. No, 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 no. <laughs> From the competitive side, I want to see no pacers. But okay. Rest, I get it. The rest, bring your caddy. You know, bring the wife along to serve a cocktail to you at number five. <laughs> Whatever it takes, you know. Um, 
it's just the competitive side of me that, that thinks we should do things ourselves. Okay, let's. This is an important question since you bring it up on the competitive side. When we've got the the front of the Packers, we've got the people that are chasing down course records. Do you think the Western states course record is what it is if Pacers were not allowed? If people, yeah, do you think? I mean, do you think that's? Do you think we go under fifteen if there's no Pacers? Are we still chasing? Or under fourteen? I well. I think, I think Jim could have done that without a pacer. You know, um, I mean, I, know, I don't know exact. I don't know, remember who exactly who paced him, but but um, Andy, I'm sure you know. But you know, was it really for Jim? Was it really? I know Jim pretty well, mm-hmm. and I think he would have been just as tough himself. I mean, he didn't even go into the darkness, so you can't claim darkness. Yeah, right. Um, he probably, I mean, he didn't really have assistance other than he knew who was running with his buddies who knew how to say maybe the right things at the right time when he was not feeling so down. But I think Jim was in such a zone when he ran 14.09. It was his third try, right? Right. In that time, right? Is Am I right in the third try? Yeah. First time he got lost, right? Uh, well, anyway, but I mean, I think he's at the elite level that he doesn't need someone on his side or to, to give him the motivation do you th- Danny, do you think he would have gone slower or faster without a pace? I, I, I think I think his I think his two other experiences. Well, he had three experiences there. Right. I think that that he got that dialed in then. Uh, 2017, ending up dropping. 2018, finishing, but you know, and winning. But but to, the the 2019. For sure, he had enough course knowledge. He had enough understanding. Yeah. He could. He, he. I think he might have done it without a pacer. Um, if I stand, if I'm correct, I mean, he he just felt Jared Hazen right behind him. So, mm-hmm. um, I I I I think at the very Ryan at the very very pointy end. So this is where you're you're crossing over almost into like the mar- having rabbits in a marathon yeah. or a track race. Right. Right. I mean, if, if you had some fresh guy show up at green gate, which is mile 80, you know, mm. in uh, you know, in short shorts and a tank top and just said, run your seven minute miles from here to the high school. And you had the leader just go right behind him, you know, with the drone overhead or whatever. Sure. That could, that could probably happen. Um, but, but I think in the, the, the zone that, that Jim was in, and I think he probably still is in, um, yeah. he didn't, he didn't need a pacer at that point. Now the experiences he had, I mean, he missed he famously missed a turn. Uh, we haven't talked about how important it is for pacers. I've always said pacers first responsibility, making sure runner stays on course. Yeah. You know, one of the nice Ryan, you talked about when the pacer, when the runner picks up his pacer, you can shut your mind off. Right. You know, part of, part of shutting your mind off is not having to look for the flags or the reflectors or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so you as a pacer who, who who are fresh, you've only been out there for a couple of hours. You're finding the markers. You have the map in your pocket. You are. And this is mid packers and even back of the packers. Right. Mm-hmm. You're finding the way through the woods and the runners just running. So a question that I want to bring up that I think both you can answer really well is people listening to this, you know, whether they decide they're, you know, they're anti or, or, or pro pacer at the beginning of the, at the front of the pack. Middle and back of the Packers, someone that's tackling a distance that's unknown to them, 
what would you say, what should they look for in a pacer? When looking at their group of friends, what should they look for? Andy, we'll start with you. Okay, first of all, you have to find somebody who will be okay in the presence of you when you're crying. <laughs> you're up next. Puking, <laughs> uh, feeling sorry for yourself, wanting to quit, and showing your own vulnerabilities. So you do not want to you don't you don't you don't want to have your bar your bro bar buddy pace you, mm-hmm. right? You want to have somebody who is willing to see you in your weakest moment and pull you out of that. And, and, and that's not always easy. You know, you, that, that, it can be embarrassing to be sitting in a chair at mile 87 and crying and talking about how your spouse is not going to forgive you for this because you gave up six months of your life or whatever. Mm-hmm. You need to have someone with you that gets that part of you. And you, because you look, a typical person is only going to run what eight, ten hundred milers in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. They're not like Carl and me, right? They haven't run forty or sixty or eighty hundred milers, right? So, the, so having that experience is like it's not going to happen very often. So they're not very good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when they're down and they're like grinding it out, you got if that person is right by their side, they're going to they might be shocked. They may be like, oh, my God, this isn't the guy I work with or am married to or is my dad. Right. Which are like the three most popular pacers. You pick someone you work with, you're married to or is in your family. I mean, you've got to be they've got to be able to put up with that. Hey, Carl, you want to add anything to that? No, so you, I mean, when people ask me who should I have as a pacer, should I hit the message board at Hard Rock two days before and have a pacer? It was like you want you want one of your friends. I mean, we we I think we totally agree on this one. If you're going to have a pacer, have someone that knows you, knows what to say at the right times. And it goes back to, um, you know, I can talk about the Appalachian Trail, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had the for my first two attempts on the AT were unsuccessful as far as breaking the record, um, and I'm not putting anybody down here, but I don't think I had the right crew. Right. So, but on the third time I did it, I had a guy named Eric Bells, the guy with the beard in the movie. And you guys both know who I'm talking about, but you got to have the right person at the right time to say things that turn off the negative demons, you know, all of a sudden turns off the negative demons are right back in it. So I think Andy's exactly right. You need someone, you know, someone that can hang someone that's, Whatever distance you're doing, whether it's the last 20 or maybe mile 50 to 60 or whatever, they can hang with you. <laughs> uh, and, and let me let me jump in. Having, having spent a few miles with Carl and his crew in that record year on the AT, I mean, that, 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 that they were not that was not just, a, you, know, a, uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns. Right. I mean, you know, senior was there. Senior is what we know is Carl. Carl Meltzer, senior yeah. dad. Yeah. And, and 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 you you kept it really small. You kept mm-hmm. the you know, limited, limited the variables. I mean, that's an important piece, by the way. Yeah. Ron. You want to you want to you the fewer people around, the better, the, the less variables, the better. I mean, I, if you were to if you were to watch Carl and, and me come into an aid station, I remember mm-hmm. Carl coming into Wasatch, a big mountain. I mean, it was it was like it's like a NASCAR pit crew. You know, uh, Cheryl hands him his Nalgene that he's sipping on, never stops moving, kind of comes through, switches out 
bottles, dumps his trash, whatever, you know, never stops moving, keeps going. Same thing with me. You'd, you'd come into Michigan Bluff and I've got my youngest son sticking gels in my pockets and my oldest son, you know, putting sunscreen on and my middle son, you know, putting, you know, the powder in my bottles. You've got to have that, those people you trust and you care about and and that they're you know ultimately maybe they're going to forget about it the next day but but that's what they're that's what they're there for you know and and yeah next week you know carl and i'll clean the kitchen and we'll cut the grass and we'll <laughs> clean the garage and do all that <laughs> oh it's all balanced right it's all yeah, exactly <laughs> Well, we talked about this, Carl, the first time you were on the Adventure Jogger about the way you run into an aid station and the way Andy does. It is all business. And your wife is a saint because a lot of wives are at ultras and they're smoochy smooch, right? It's it's smoochy smooch. I love you. Hugging, taking pictures with. Oh, sweetheart, how are you? There's no time for that because you just drop your shit on the ground you know, and Cheryl's like, oh, that, put your bottles back in, stick all that stuff in. And if and if she forgets something, she'll run after you and bring it to you. Like there is no no smoochy smooch. It's all business. And it sounds like you as well, Andy. It's 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 all it's all business. Oh, yeah. And, and Cheryl and Shelley, I think, have actually sat at aid stations talking about this. <laughs> like they've, they've looked at the other crews that are all the smoochy smooch crews. I mean, there there's no there's not a whole lot of love. Right. When when I come into an aid, when Carl comes in, it's drink this, take this, put this in your thing. I mean, it's. <laughs> You know, it's you're, you're in and out done, you know, and, and there's not even any there's not even really any conversation that takes place. Mm-hmm. It's not like I mean, maybe if you're feeling crappy or but then it'd be like whispered, hey, bring me a new pair of socks at the next aid station or whatever. Those you are know, the sweet nothings of ultra running. Yeah. <laughs> bring me another pair of socks. <laughs> well, you know, it's about focus. Like, you know, again, you go back to the competitive side, you're running to win. Mm-hmm. Am I lollygagging around? You know, you, yeah, I'm, I do. I am all business. When I get about five minutes out of an aid station or when I think I'm five minutes out, I'm thinking like, how many things do I need? It's always going to be dump garbage. If there's a drop bag, it's always going to be grab your gel and it's always going to be fill your bottles. Those are the three primary things that you do. And I, I focus and I think about what I'm going to do. I focus at it. I make sure I know how many things I have to do and I get it done and I leave. And Cheryl knows that that's where it's a race here, you know? <laughs> well, and I, and I want to say when I, when I was transitioning, you know, from the easier hundreds like Wasatch, like, like Western States and Vermont and all that to Wasatch and hard rock. And I was studying Carl a lot. I mean, you, somebody, if you're listening to this podcast, just go and do some research on Carl's aid station time. Just pick, pick any of his Wasatches, pick any of his hard rocks and add up his aggregate aid station time. It was it was minuscule. Like the second place, he would have t- like maybe 18 minutes of aid station time over an entire 100 miler. And mind you, a lot of that time is added up from when they enter the aid station and when he leaves the aid station, right? So he, you know, and and that and and that's and that's money in the bank, right? That's just money in the bank. That's, that's starting before the field. 
Exactly. Right? I mean, that's you getting 30 minutes on when I you ran. Get a, you, get, you, get a, you get a 30 minute head start because you didn't sit there in your A and, and have somebody, you know, change your shoes. You just kept going up the trail. And I mean, I know we're, we're deviating a little bit from pacing, but, uh, but a lot of it is about getting through the getting through the event. I mean, you can walk. 20 minute miles and do a lot of things. You can eat food walking 20 minute miles. I mean, Carl taught me that on the AT. I mean, you can, you can eat food, you can change your shirt, you can, you know, fiddle with your pack. You don't have to stop and sit in a chair to do that. Pacers right. though. That's, that's how no business 100, my last one on my way could be the very last, but it was October. Um, I, I beat Grant Barnett by, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes. Well, I guarantee you, if you go back to look at the aid station time on that race, he ran faster than I did. <laughs> However, <laughs> he did not win the race. And I'll guarantee you that that is the case. Um, I won that race by being fast at aid stations. Credited to my wife, Cheryl, and credited to me is that I didn't stop. I mean, I had, I mean, what did I, my wife sitting right here. So <laughs> it's like I 15 minutes at the absolute most I had is 15 minutes. So you're, very, very efficient. So you're saying the other guy had the kiss of death, basically the smoochy smooch of of, of death. What cost him? You know, I don't think he was smoochy smooch, and okay. I think he was just kind of a rookie. <laughs> okay, I got gotcha. you. Know. but a pacer. We'll bring it back to pacing here. A pacer can help you get in and out of aid stations quicker by helping you focus, right? That's muling. If it's only muling, if there's no crew allowed. Okay. Crew allowed, then whatever. But but if there's mute, but if there's no crew allowed, then if he goes, you know, give me your bottles, I'll, or maybe not even give me your bottles. I'll go up ahead and see what they have. I'll go up and and uh, tell them you're coming to grab mm-hmm. your drop bag, you know, or whatever. Um, if crew is not allowed, then the pacer really should be getting taken care of himself. Nothing else. But what about like? like so that, I'm gonna oh. I'll, I'll jump in and okay. say I think what the pacer can do, you know, Carl. He, he's like, okay, I'm five minutes out. I'm going to check my, check my garbage, whatever. Yep. A, a really good pacer on a competitive race is going to say, hey, AJW, we're five minutes out from uh, uh, ALT. We're going to get, what do you want? You're going to want some watermelon. You're going to, you got a drop bag here. You're going to fill one bottle with, uh, with, with goo, one bottle with water. And then we're going to get at it. What else do you need? And, 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 and he's going to help me with that checklist. So that when I get in there, I get through, I get all that, and I'm out. You know, that's not muling. That's just being that guy in my ear. That's the caddy. That's the caddy saying, you know, remember, and I might have said, I might have said half an hour before, oh, man, I could really go for some watermelon. All right, well, I've, I'm sure they've got some watermelon at this aid station. Or, oh, man, I'm feeling a little crampiness. I think we might try to need to try and get some salt on this aid station, right? You can say that to your pacer. The pacer can help you with that. Because then you get into the aid station, there's all the – if you're in the front of the pack especially, there's all the craziness of being in the mm-hmm. aid station. And, and you might – and the pacer walks right up to you and say, remember you said you needed salt? Boom, have this salt right now. Take it down. So, I mean, I, I really, really think that that's a key advantage. It's, it's right there with, with like a NASCAR pit crew. You, you, said, you said five minutes up there you needed salt. I'm here with the salt. Take it and let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. Okay. This can create conflict, though. And, and, and people that may be running their first hundred and, and getting a crew and having pacers, 
there needs to be, at least for me, the pacers in charge. Because there's some times when the pacer needs to say, we need to go. Like, you've been sitting down for way too long. And that can become a problem with other members of the crew saying, oh, just give him a chance to rest and that sort of thing. So do you guys, well, Andy, you you have pacers. Carl's like, the the goat. Only the goats (laughs) pace the goat. But He's talking to me. Cheryl in the background saying, wait, wait a minute, talk to me. Well, hang on. Shelby and Cheryl, Cheryl will talk later. Um, I'm going to talk, Cheryl, I'm going to talk to your agent, Carl, and see if I can get you booked on the Adventure Jogger <laughs> podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll make our, our people work, but I do want to talk to you before, before it's all done, Cheryl. But no, do you, Andy, do you put the pacer in charge when the pacer's with you? Is Are they, do they have the final say? So as Carl mentioned crew aid stations, crew accessible versus non-crew mm-hmm. accessible. If it's non-crew accessible, Pacer's in charge. You know, the Pacer is saying, we're getting out of here, we're doing it. If it's a crew aid station, so it's it's Michigan Bluff, Forest Hill, the river, anywhere where Shelly is, Shelly's in charge. Okay. Now, now the first thing Shelly's going to do is talk to the Pacer and find out what's what's he need what's he doing is he talking shit is he being weird is he you know she'll she'll she's she's a she's a psychologist by trade so so she's getting in that data and then she's saying okay well andy needs to do this he needs to get this and and then needs to get out of here in two minutes so i that would be the dip but but i'm i'm completely comfortable putting the pacer in charge particularly because like you asked the question you asked earlier there's someone i trust Mm -hmm. i've put my trust in and they're going to I do it. Here comes Shelly too. So Shelly, oh my there. God, Wait, the, the wives are See, here. My pacer just handed me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> here's Shelly. <laughs> See, where's your beer, pacer? Hello. Where's your beer? Okay. Where's Shelly? There she is. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. It's old home week. It's it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Shelly, can we can we ask you a question really quick? This is Shelly Jones Wilkins. Um, how tired of you are? How tired are you of Andy's shit on a scale of one to ten? Okay. Um, well, you know what? I just don't actually record it anymore. <laughs> like right over. It, Great answer. <laughs> you, you just get inured to these things after thirty years. <laughs> Shall Great we, answer. What was the most annoying or like moment? at a race where you're like, Jesus, I married this guy. There's so many. Do you want to take a minute and think about there's it? Probably multi- there's probably multiple That's, things here. I mean, you do realize there's so many. Mo- I mean, this is 4100s, right? Yeah. How many moments are there? Um, uh, gosh, annoying. I, 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 I think that I've, you you stumped me. I, I I would say probably the um the regular uh, uh bear call barfing. I just can't you just throw up quietly? I mean really. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I think I think it it really is like a bear mating call or something weird. I don't know, but he throws up in the most noisy, obnoxious way possible. So yeah, that would be it. And it's usually right at the end of the race when you're like celebrating. (laughs) Shelly. My world, honey. (laughs) Shelly, was there a moment in your marriage when you realized that you were married to kind of this 
cult hero in a weird sport. <laughs> oh my. Um, uh, no, that was just a, a, an incremental creep into the, the kind of this weird world where, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't say there was any significant moment. Um, that would be overstating it. Um, I will say that when you wake up uh, on the field at Western States and you hear his just booming, obnoxious noise at about <laughs> 2.30 in the morning, uh, uh, that, that's really weird. Um, so I, you know, across the, the stadium, that, that's weird. That's your husband. Yeah, that's just weird. So, I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's no end to it. <laughs> well, the fact that people do impersonations of your husband. It's got to be. Oh, you know that that I would I would actually like I yeah that that. Well, just... actually, Ryan does one. <laughs> oh, right. okay. give it a, give it a second. Right, here we go. go. Here we go. Okay, close your eyes, Shelly, so you can see if you think it's Andy or not. Okay, okay here we go. Hey, hey, Shelly, I'm gonna need some watermelon at the next aid station. <laughs> it's the jizz. Pretty it's good. The jizz oh, rolling yeah. in. Okay, so so here's the thing. What what you don't know is that watermelon is one of those precursors to the bear mating. <laughs> it's not on the request list. <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing about Andy is that he knows if I'm crewing him, he just doesn't get to tell me what he wants. I I just give him what we plan. It's it's all scripted, and so we don't have negotiation or request special request. Occasionally. I'll surprise him, but yeah. Yeah, he just, you know, has to deal with what I give him. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. I'm like, I got my, just put Joe in my pocket. I'm out of here. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're about the only, Carl, you're about the only guy who goes in and out of uh, aid stations faster than Andy. Yeah, I, I, I would say we're pretty close. Yeah, just like the golf game. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, that just goes back to like, we're old curmudgeons. <laughs> yeah. The but, most efficient and, way, and, and that's just how we do it. And I would, I uh, would have pretty, pretty similar mos. Like, no, just get out of here. You know. Right. So, right. so Shelly, moving forward, and I'll, I want to ask Cheryl. I want to get Cheryl in on this too because I think this will be oh. fun. We'll have you guys do a full episode, but just kind of like a little tease here. Uh, Shelly, have you ever felt like have you ever looked around at an aid station? Well, g generally Andy's up towards the front, but do you do you ever watch the smoochy smoochers at an aid station? And just, did you ever wish for that? Like, man, I wish Andy would come into an aid station and tell me how great I am. Spend 15 minutes with me and do a little smoochy smooch. Uh, uh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Nick, answer's over. <laughs> There's plenty of time for that. That's just not what's going on. <laughs> if, you, if he did do that, you'd be like, what are you, drunk? <laughs> <laughs> crew. <laughs> All right. We have Cheryl Meltzer. Uh, on the on the line with us as well cheryl aid station wise your husband is legendary for for being quick through aid stations how was the first crewing experience of of your husband for you um, carl ran me over and pushed me out of his way <laughs> <laughs> so the very first time i crewed carl was um at White River, 50. White River 50 and he asked Scott Durick to help me out and so Scott 
taught me what to do. And at the last aid station, I felt really confident. I was standing there with his gels. Carl was racing for third position and I went to hand him his gels and he was in too much of a rush. He didn't want them. And he just pushed me aside and kept going. <laughs> well, you got to remember, I threw a Red Bull down at you too. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much about it. Yeah. Like that was, she was very, I mean, if you want to say rookie, she was as rookie as you can get there. So that was when we first met. <laughs> okay. So, to, you know, oh, pretty that, much like how, how long into the relationship did this happen? So, so I met Carl in, in January on a ski trip and he invited me to come out to visit for vacation in July. And I was here for a week and we went out to white river. So, so this is like date I number two for like a week. This is like date number two. <laughs> no, it was date yeah. number two. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Date number two. Jump in a car for 12 hours. 16, 16 hours. Home, remember? That'll be entertaining. Yep. And then crew at a race and, uh, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. People say that romance is dead and I say, no, there's Carl. <laughs> yeah, I'm real romantic. <laughs> so I, I will, Ryan, I will say that, that Cheryl and Shelly are two. If you want to learn how to be a crew at a hundred mile race, these are the people to talk oh, to. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, state, you know what we're doing. state world, literally world class. We're going to have that Thank you very much. We are going to have that episode That's right. for sure. <laughs> we are doing the Shelly and Cheryl episode. It is going to be legendary. It's going to happen. Um, Shelly, I'm going to reach out to your agent, uh, AJW. Cheryl, I'm going to reach out to your agent, the goat, and, and we're going to we're going to make this happen because there's a lot of a lot of knowledge that I think you got you gals can share to to our to our listeners. Um, but but Cheryl, when did you realize that you were because I asked the same question to Shelly that you were uh, married to or in a relationship with a cult icon in a niche sport? Um. Probably that first race at White River. I mean, it was just, I was amazed to see when I first met Carl and he told me he ran hundreds, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. And so then when I went out and got to crew and pace him, or well, not pace him, crew him. Pace, what? <laughs> Excuse me. And and to see, you know, to see people talk about him or just try to take his picture you know mm -hmm. i was like what's going on here i don't understand and so you know eventually that was, long, that was 2000 it might have been 2002 or something like that it's pretty early in my career i mean it's more people probably know me now but even then it was like 2004 or something i don't know <laughs> when did i meet her i don't know um <laughs> but yeah it was it was uh it was a cool experience i mean she she did great i mean she had jerker on the side kind of you know, bringing her to the right aid station and stuff. So she figured it out pretty quick. I'm hoping, and it may not be true, but I'm hoping the Carl proposing to Cheryl story was he had the new speed goat pack on and he put a <laughs> ring in there. And at like at mile 88 station, he comes in, starts throwing all of his stuff on the ground, then chucks a ring on the ground, says, what you in? And then he started running and you had to chase him after to give him an answer. Uh, well, yeah, that was close, but I, <laughs> I, uh, not quite. Oh. I gave her a, uh, Valentine's I just gave her the, card. yeah, right. Is that it? it was yeah. a I gave her a Valentine's Day card with the, 
phone number to the justice of the peace. <laughs> That was, that was right. It. Yep. <laughs> and then we, and then we went. We met at the bridge at a place called. It's a white pine trailhead that I run on a lot. We met there with the justice of the peace. We paid her a hundred bucks. <laughs> we got married. I went home and mowed the lawn, and we went out for sushi. <laughs> that is our that wedding. Our wedding. Yeah. Again, the people. Hundred dollars. Yeah, romance. They say romance is dead, and I say no. I say the melters. Very romantic. <laughs> and at the time, at the time, I had no money, so hundred bucks was a lot. But no. but uh, but yeah, that was pretty simple. I mean, that was uh, that's how I did it. That's awesome. That's the best story ever. I mean, uh, seriously, if if you never listen to another episode of the Adventure Jogger, you got the best story out of the. the I can't top it. I might as well just cancel the podcast. <laughs> how to get married pain free. <laughs> All right, right? Shelly, Shelly, I got to ask you, how did how did Andy pop the question? Was it a big deal that he sky riding and unicorns and, fl- and rose petals? Like, OK, Shelly, I think it's time we finally make this official. <laughs> oh, no. We'll do it right at the end of Western States. <laughs> no, now Carl's doing it. These guys are not really the guys that do that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think. No. <laughs> Um, I will say it's it, it was slightly more um, uh, in the traditional mode. Uh, it was uh, New Year's Day night. Okay. And he his folks knew we were going to a New Year's Day party, mm-hmm. uh, and his his parents knew that this was in the works, and so there was they waited all night for him to propose to me on New Year's Eve. And then it just didn't happen. And didn't happen and didn't happen. We had plenty of opportunity. It was, I, I DNF'd on New Year's Eve. <laughs> there you go. You didn't have a pacer. <laughs> so I had to reboot, you know? <laughs> so after the whole party was over, then he finally did it, did uh, propose. And that was, that was actually me down right in front of the christmas tree it was pretty good wow. all right, all right. man well i told I, I told my i told cheryl's parents that we were already married three weeks after we were married <laughs> <laughs> so so my sister was planning a wedding for a year mm-hmm. and it was a month after we actually got married so <laughs> anybody we didn't want to interfere and when we went to her wedding everybody kept asking when we were going to get married and so the next morning we told everybody that. <laughs> okay cheryl have you ever ran with carl during a race we don't want to say pace but have you ever ran yes yes really I'm at Lake Martin 100, the last seven miles, and he told me that I was not pacing him. I was going for my daily run. I have to tell him that he had to go faster because he had to break the hour mark. And he said to me, I already have the W. And I said, I don't care. We have to break the hour mark. I won by six hours. <laughs> I don't, I don't, that was a cool, cool little 25 mile loop. Um, but yeah, I was way out there. So she went with me. I was struggling, but it was mile 93. Who cared, right? And it was head, so it didn't matter. But that's that's the only time she never, you didn't mule. No, you know, she just came with me and it was cool. It was a good experience. I love that. You're not pacing me. You're going on your morning run beside me on the same trail. 
during a race. Um, Shelly, have you ever paced Andy Jones Wilkins? No, no. Um, that I I do run, mm-hmm. but I am really lousy on the trail. I, I don't have good footing, mm-hmm. so that was that would be a recipe for a, a not good time. <laughs> He'd drop you. <laughs> so so we 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 stay. I stay in my lane in this respect. <laughs> um, my kids, on the other hand, have definitely paced Andy. Uh, Carson did yeoman's duty on the slog in uh, from uh, uh, Cunningham. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, they've all. Has Tully paced you? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, so they, they, they're much, they got better feet than I do. Okay. Now here's the question for you, Andy. If Shelly were at some point to pace you, would you drop her? <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> no, I'm pretty, I, I mean, to, to go He's to looking the, for the right answer here. <laughs> yeah, with, the, with the Matt Carpenter line, uh, you know, if you no, I, I couldn't drop her. So I don't know what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps a DNF. Perhaps a DNF. <laughs> All right. I, I, I think that, I mean, I've asked you, I've thought about it. You know, but um, Shelly's too Shelly's too important to be like at the age. She's too important as a crew to waste as a pacer. Wow! Wow! Yeah! Yeah! Bravo! Quote that. Yeah. You know, if, that. if you have like if you have five people, this is for the listeners. If you have five people coming to come to support you at a race, like the two most important people, if you pick the five. The two most important should be the crew people. They're going to drive the cars and do the charts and, and you know, do all that and stay up all night and get the food and all that. The pacers are just going to go out and have a good time and probably be tired when they finish. So the most important people are the crews. And I, I actually wouldn't want to waste – I wouldn't want Shelly to get tired out pacing so that she wasn't there at, like, Highway 49 to be like, Ian Sharman just left here a minute ago. You can catch him, you know. Like, that's important. You're you're too important. That's he would yes. That, that was an awesome answer. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I will. I want to say. I want to say something also about both Cheryl and Shelley mm-hmm. that I think is really valuable for Carl and I. They really understand and care about the competitive nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know I know Shelley, and I I think Cheryl does this. Shelly, in my years at Western States, would literally analyze the runners coming through ahead of me and write down on a at Michigan Bluff in particular, mile 55, write down on a little piece of paper what we are, when they came through and how they looked and how long they took at the aid station. And then she would just shove it in the back of my pocket and say, read it on the hill, on the on that gravel road hill when you start walking out of here. And it was always spot on. 2010 was a great example. I, I pull out the piece of paper and it says, Anton, Jeff, Killian, you're not going to catch those guys. And then the rest of it is like, well, you might catch Hal. He looked like shit. Hal always looks like shit. Right. <laughs> catch so-and-so, whatever. Or Paul DeWitt stayed here and changed his shoes for 15 minutes. Paul DeWitt always did that. You know, Carl uh, 
outpaced him for a little while. So, I mean, I think those are the things, you know, you, you know, when, when Carl, I mean, Cheryl knows like every course record split and all of that stuff. Like these are important things that not, not that are, that are like deeper into the sport than most people realize. Those are great answers, Andy. We now turn to Carl, the speed goat Meltzer, whose wife, Cheryl, has never paced him, but she's gone on her morning run next to him on the trail. Now, I kept her behind 100 yards, no light assistance. I think that's a bullshit lie. But, uh, um, you know. Carl? All right. Let's just say, let's just say, for whatever, for whatever reason, you've decided you're going to let Cheryl be your pacer. Would you drop yeah. Cheryl? Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think I would no ever question. accept. No question on that. I think. Well, I guess that's not true because that last seven miles, I could have beat you. <laughs> Let me just say this. When you have a six hour lead <laughs> to go. No offense to all the other runners. Don't get me wrong here, but probably don't need to push it in. <laughs> so you just kind of weigh in. Okay. Okay. That's number 31 or whatever the hell number that was. Um, again, great course, great loop, but uh, at the same time, you know, I don't know. I don't, I think Cheryl's run with me seven miles one time at a hundred miles. That's all I got. That ladies and gentlemen is why he puts the goat in speed goat greatest <laughs> of all time uh so can we end this pacer debate with so so i think we're all in agreement that pacers in the middle and back of the pack are are great for the ways that andy talked about great yes. gateway drug to get people in the sport but if you're going to stay strong carl on pacers in the competitive part of the race uh the big dogs chasing the w leads to an advantage but yeah it just leads to an advantage i think it's it, if everyone, again, you know, we talked about it already, but everyone's on the same, same level, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you have a pacer or not, take it. It's okay to take advantage. I get it. You can have a pacers at Western and all so many races. It's okay. To, I'm not against the guy taking advantage of that because you can use them. Why wouldn't you, you know, I think pacers should not be allowed on the competitive side of things. It's just. I don't know. I don't know. Is that even answering your question? No, I think it's Carl. It's good. That's. I think it's a good, solid answer, Carl. Uh, and we'll I mean, wrap. Go ahead. It's, yeah, it's just my. It's just my view. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not wrong or right. It's, but I. Th but I think that people are trying to finish their first hundred and they want to share the experience. It's good. I mean, I did the same thing at one, my first Wasatch One Hundred. You could have as many pacers as you wanted. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had three people following me while I was wandering around in circles. <laughs> in the woods taking naps um, while the three of them shot the shit, you know? <laughs> um, that was that was an experience. I mean, having three pacers, obviously that's never happening again, but um, you know, it's to each his own. Do what you like to do and have your own feeling on what you want to do and it's fine. If you're not breaking the rules, just just my thing is don't don't cheat. You know, don't cheat. Little things that, things that we mentioned about cheating, mm -hmm. cheat is kind of a harsh word, but at the same time, cheating is cheating. Don't cheat. 
Okay, one more question, Carl, and then we'll we'll wrap it up with AJW. Um, you did say we could. That, by the way, thank you for for launching the Adventure Jogger podcast and being the first interview. Uh, that was <laughs> very nice of you to be the first Adventure Jogger guest. But you said on that one that when you see people out on the trails wearing the Speed Goat shoes, you do say nice shoes to people yes. as you pass them. What do you say when you see people not only wearing the Speed Goat shoes but also the Speed Goat pack? Well, I'm not going to say nice kit <laughs> because I'm not really a kit guy. No. It comes from you. Only Europeans have kits because they have to carry so much crap because they don't have a patient. Mm-hmm. But, but no, I mean, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of people with the full combo yet, you know, because the it's sold out. I tried to buy one for the last six months. It's sold out. Right. Well, I'm sorry, man. What can I say? You know, efficiency is what it is. But no, the pack is doing great. Yeah, it's just because you mentioned that the pack is doing great. It's just a simple, you know, it's not good for a four or five hours out on your own, but it's good for about two to half to three at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, when I see people wearing Speedgo shoes, it is an absolute honor to see people wearing something and they say, thanks, Carl, or you make a great shoe, Carl. I'm like, I didn't make the shoe. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I suggested how to make the shoe. And how you know a couple different uh, part of the processes, but but the bottom line is like when you have something like that out there. I mean, I can't tell you how much of it is, is an honor to see people know that it's my shoe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just Speed Goat from Hoka; it's Carl's shoe. You know, um, that's priceless. I mean, that's better than a hole in one. Oh, for sure. So you no, said- I mean, for sure, mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's a really cool thing. You have to say nice shoes, and that's a sweet ass fanny pack. That's a sweet ass fanny pack, and then say nice socks too. I guess, <laughs> right? Hey, nice socks, shoes, and fanny pack, and uh, gloves and hat you got on there. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> How about nice setup? <laughs> I don't know. I like that. I like that. Like, like I said, it's an, it's just an honor to see that stuff. We, my buddies and I have talked about this in the 1990s. We talked about wouldn't it be cool to have your own shoe? Kind of like Michael Jordan when he started having, you know, the yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Obviously, it's not Michael Jordan, but but it is really cool. It's uh, Hoka has been amazing to me, and I took a risk, and you know, obviously, it paid off. Okay, you can say sweet ass outfit. That covers everything. Outfit. That's my grandma calls everything. Well, sounds like I'm going with dance. <laughs> Okay, that was an outfit. I will leave you to, to come up with your own term, Carl. We'll cover that on the next time we talk audience. to you. <laughs> okay. Go to the audience and ask them what they think he should say. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Everybody comment on the post on the Adventure Jogger Facebook page. What should Carl say as he's running by somebody who's got speed goat shoes, speed goat pack, and more. Okay? You go leave that, and then whatever gets the most comments, Carl's going to have to say. Bring he's, it. he's agreeing to this. Uh, Andy, wrapping things up, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I, I love Carl's. I love the Speed Goat shoe. And I mean, you know, there's never going to be an AJW shoe. Don't say that. Uh, well, there's, a, there's an AJW's tap room, though. Yes, there is. Uh, but Could uh, be better than the shoe. <laughs> and uh and then and uh and i really i really do enjoy the shoe and i and i love you know what i want to wrap things up with is you know for for those of you who've been listening you know you're, you're listening to 
to two guys who've been running ultras. They're both 53 years old and we've been un- running ultras since our early 20s. And we don't plan on stopping anytime soon. You know, between the two of us, we have 50, 55 to 60 years experience in the sport and we're going to keep doing it. And, and I hope that people listening to this podcast don't just come in and leave the sport. And part of the reason we wanted to have this debate about pacers and non-pacers and and have our have the crews on and talk about it is it's a this is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Running ultra marathons is a lifestyle. You know, uh, Carl driving across the country to run Lake Martin, or me driving across the country in a couple of weeks to run Bighorn, and then go hang out at Western States. I mean, people ask me all the time, AJW, you haven't run Western States since 2014. Why do you travel across the country every year to go there? And I'm like, well, it's a big part of who I am. It's a big part of the the reason I love this sport and the community and and the love I feel in this. And and especially after the last 18 months we've been through, you know, we 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 want to be together. We, we want to celebrate our tribe. We want to have guys like Carl and I on a podcast like this with you, Ryan, because you know, because it's this is what we love to do. You know, Carl and I are going to wake up tomorrow morning probably earlier than most of the other people on this podcast and go for another run, you know, and it might not be as fast as it was 10, 15 years ago. And it might not be, you know, we're with a bunch of photos taken, you know, with a selfie, with a good view, but we're going to get in the work and we're going to get it done. And, and I think that's to be celebrated and whether you're pro pacer or anti pacer being part of this community, being part of what it means to be an ultra runner, you know, that's what it's all about. Very good stuff, gentlemen. Amen. Thank, thank you both for taking your time. Andy, I know you've nearly signed um, the deal to be an Adventure Jogger Race Team member, uh, meaning I sent you a free shirt. So, <laughs> Is it cotton? Yeah. Do you want one, Carl? I want a cotton shirt, man. Dude, would you seriously wear an Adventure Jogger? shirt anymore. Would you wear an Adventure Jogger Race Team shirt, Carl? On the podcast. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm sending you one. I'm gonna I'm gonna message you for your size and your you address, <laughs> and you've got one coming your way, Carl. Well, and, 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 I will and wear Ryan, it in good taste. <laughs> and, and Ryan, speaking of the shirts, you are you are going to be traveling out to Western States for the first time, and you've you've never been there before, right? No, I crewed there in 2015 and paced. Oh, this okay, is my, okay. My, my, so you've been there before. Yeah. yeah so I look, I look forward to reconnecting with you out there. I, I here I'm going to give you the, the this is going to be the story of Western states that you can write for I Run Far. The headline will be Kyle Curtin of Durango becomes first Western states finisher to officially drop all his pacers and embarrass them. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. Three drops. <laughs> A, a triple pacer drop. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate so much of your time. It was great storytelling. This was a, this was a great episode. Started as one thing and turned into another, and I'm sure glad it did. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. The Adventure Jogger, uh, Adventure Jogger Race Team shirts. Details coming soon. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.